This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Anchored in Christ. And um, we're in the middle of the sermon series called Soul Searching, based on John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping. I'm Deborah Owen, here with Pastor Sarah Singleton. And this sermon wasn't written or this sermon wasn't written or preached by you, Sarah. Right. So in our church, I am only preaching three times uh, in any given month. Mm -hmm. And Tim Dolan, Reverend Dr. Tim Dolan, he is our parish associate. And he's a gifted, experienced uh, preacher, pastor, as well as a professor, um, former professor. Mm -hmm. So we're glad to have Tim share with us about the soul right. care that he does. The restful living versus a restless, in a restless world is what he's, he's talking about. And you know, before we dive into this, you know, so many of us leave frantic, frenetic lives. How does that impact our souls? Hmm. It was Richard Foster who said that the devil's playground is when we are hurried, when we are in crowds, or when we're surrounded by noise. And I would say that that does typify what we're experiencing, particularly when we're plugged in all of the time Mm -hmm. um, to media of any kind, as well as social media. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to be hearing in this sermon is Jesus' invitation to come. Come to him. If we are fatigued, we are weary, we are burdened with our lives. Lives, not only our personal lives, but the life of our community, the life of our family, the life of this nation, the life of the world. If we're burdened, come to him. Mm-hmm. And then he's going to give us practices. That's great. All right, let's hear the sermon. While I was browsing the magazine rack at the Newberry Port Library about three weeks ago, I ran across a magazine, a National Geographic magazine that was dated August of 2018. Why that particular magazine was still on the racks, I don't know, but it was. And the cover story was titled, The Science of Sleep. And I thought to myself, well, I don't always sleep very well, so maybe I should check the magazine out. And sure enough, I was able to do that, and I did. Among other things, the author of the lead article, Michael Finkel, said this, and I quote, he says, the average American today sleeps less than seven hours a night, about two hours less than a century ago. Isn't that interesting? You've probably heard this. There's been a number of studies done on sleep. He says, this is chiefly due to the proliferation of electric lights, followed by television, computers, and smartphones, again, things we would probably know. Finkel Finkel continues in the article by saying this, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, more than 80 million American adults are chronically sleep-deprived, meaning they sleep less than the recommended minimum of seven hours a night. Fatigue contributes to more than a million accidents each year as well as to a significant number of medical errors. When you're gonna have somebody operate on you or something, you hope they get a good night's sleep the night before. But even small adjustments in sleep, the author said, can be problematic. And then he said something uh, in this article that really caught my attention. He said this, he said, the Monday after a daylight saving time change in the US, that would be tomorrow, there's a 24% increase in heart attacks compared with other Mondays, and a jump in fatal car crashes, too, 
Now you can guess probably because mess, time change is messed with their sleep, so there's more likely heart attacks and car crashes. Uh, so the thing is that you need to really pay attention tomorrow, okay, because tomorrow's that Monday. But the point of the article is that people today generally are not getting enough sleep, enough rest, and that has significant negative consequences on our mental and emotional and physical lives. So the bottom line is this. We need more and better rest if we are going to be healthy and whole. In our scripture lesson this morning from Matthew chapter 11 that we read together just a moment ago, Jesus also talks about the need for and importance of more and better rest. But the rest Jesus talks about here is not sleep-related, although sleep was important to Jesus. He did often go and sleep, we are told in the scriptures. But it's a different kind of rest that Jesus in this passage. A rest not so much for our bodies, but for our souls. And as I reflected in the last couple of weeks as I've been working on this sermon and reflecting on these verses of, of uh, Jesus here, I have been reminded of two very important truths about this rest that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, Jesus' words here about rest reminded me and maybe remind us that we live in a restless world, at least here in the U.S. I can't speak for the whole world, but it seems like we're, we live in kind of a restless society. Our day and age is often referred to as an age of anxiety. Maybe you've heard that. It seems like we regularly experience anxiety and stress in our daily lives. And what is ironic is that Americans generally have more money and more possessions and more stuff than ever before, and yet as a whole we seem less happy, less fulfilled, less connected, less restful than ever before. And I'm sure many of you have probably read the same polls I have and seen the same surveys I've seen. One recent report said this, and I quote, the writer said, even with the economy humming, Americans are feeling more anxious, depressed, and dissatisfied with their lives than they did in 2009. And then a fairly recent article in Fast Company magazine uh, reports this. It says, for a country that prides itself on pursuing happiness, it's in the Declaration of Independence even, Americans, America isn't particularly happy in international terms. So according to the survey, our country is 18th on the list of happy countries. Maybe you didn't know that. And what's worse, our unhappiness appears to be getting worse. Happiest country in the world. Which do you think? No, it's not Disneyland. According to the study, it's Finland, followed by Norway, Denmark, Iceland, and Switzerland. Maybe all of us should move there. What do you think? I mean, there are days when I'm thinking, that sounds pretty good. Even though we may be reluctant to admit it, many of us struggle to be as happy and fulfilled or content or satisfied as maybe we should be. And I'm sure that there are many reasons for that which we don't have time to get into today, but there's probably many reasons for this. But I would guess some of it stems from the increasingly hurried and hectic lifestyle so many of us seem to lead today, which often leads to burnout and dissatisfaction and restlessness, a sense of being overwhelmed at times, 
not just emotionally and physically, but also being overwhelmed at times, not just emotionally and physically, but also spiritually in our soul. As I was working on this sermon, I was reminded somehow of the daytime soap opera, television soap opera, The Young and the Restless. Any of you ever watch, willing to admit you watch The Young and the Restless? See that hand? As far as I know, I've never watched it. Maybe just when I'm going through the channels or something, but I, 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 and I don't have any intention of beginning to watch it, but the way my mind works when I was thinking of this sermon, I thought of that show, and I, so I thought I'd look up and found, find out how long The Young and the Restless has been on TV. And you know how long it's been on TV? 46 years. And I thought to myself, 46 years is a long time to be young and restless. It seems to me that so many of us today are young or maybe middle-aged or maybe we're older adults and restless. Debbie and I regularly exercise the YMCA in Ipswich. And if you've been there, you know the Y plays music, you know, over the speakers. But of course, nobody listens to it because everybody has their own systems. I don't know why they play music. Um, but they play different things. And, and if I was to pick a song title that I've heard down there, to sum up the overall feeling of discontentment and restlessness and emptiness that so many people experience today, I think I might choose this, a song I heard recently at the Y, one that you know, it's very famous, U2's, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. You know that song? I'm not going to sing it for you. As you probably know, Bono, the lead singer of U2, is a believer. But I think that song title, especially of so many today, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And quite possibly, it could be that maybe some of us here this morning are feeling that same way. Not sure what it is we are looking for, but know that whatever it is, we still haven't found it. Something seems to be missing. That feeling of dissatisfaction or discouragement in our lives and in our souls that seems to be so widespread today. The second thing Jesus' words in Matthew 11 remind me and us is that even though we do seem to live in a restless world, restless society, Jesus calls us as Christians to a life of restfulness, a different kind of life. Notice that twice in this brief passage in uh, Matthew that I read just a few moments ago, Jesus uses the word rest, first of all in verse 28, then in verse 28, then again in verse 29. And this word translated rest comes from the Greek word that literally means refreshment, refreshment. And what Jesus says here in these verses, I think, is simply this. The only way we can experience real rest from the world's cares and concerns, from the emptiness and loneliness and struggles and frantic and harried pace of our lives, the only way we can be refreshed and renewed is by coming to Him, giving our lives to Him, being in relationship with Him. Listen again to what Jesus says in verses 28 and 29. Let me read it again. He says, Come to me. All you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart and you will find rest or you will find refreshment in your souls. Now among the heavy burdens that people carried during the time of Jesus was an excessive amount of religious rules and rituals and regulations that the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees told the people that they had to follow very carefully. Later on in Matthew 23, a verse we didn't read, but Jesus says, he says, the scribes and Pharisees tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on the shoulders of others. They came up with all these rules and regulations and rituals that they themselves often didn't follow very well, but they expected the people to follow. And the people got the message that they could not get close to God or be loved by God or be in relationship with God unless they carefully followed all these rules and regulations. But rather than drawing them closer to God, them closer to God these religious rituals and rules and regulations actually burdened the people more than anything with do's and don'ts that were ultimately not very helpful and that became oppressive and burdensome. A heavy yoke around their necks which made their faith difficult and cumbersome and created a heavy burden for them. In contrast, Jesus says that his yoke is what? It's easy. And his burden is what? Light, verse 30. And I think when Jesus says his yoke is easy, I don't think he means that it is insignificant or does not require any effort. But I think it does mean that Jesus is there to help us carry whatever load we might be carrying. Now in Jesus' day, a yoke was a wooden instrument that connected or attached two oxen together to man. And what it did to make those oxen, what it did is it made those oxen a team together to pull that load together. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying here in these verses, attach yourself to me, yoke yourself to me, bind yourself to me, and we will become a team together that can pull any heavy load you might be facing. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message uh, translates these verses. Listen, listen, to, listen very carefully to how Peterson translates these verses. Jesus says, are you tired worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That comes from the message. Jesus says here, go away with me, walk with me, work with me, keep company with me, learn from me. What do those phrases suggest to you? Well, they suggest to me that the best way to deal with our heavy burdens, whatever they might be, with the struggles and fears and anxieties, with the things that worry us and weigh us down, and all of us have them, don't we? All of us have those things. The best, day to deal, best way to deal with the hurried life that sometimes leaves us weary and restless is to come to Him, connect to Him, attach to Him, yoke to Him, learn from Him.
I realize that it's easy to say that what we need to do is come to Jesus, isn't it? I mean, that's what you'd expect me to say, right? And it sounds good. But what does that really look like to come to Jesus? How do we really do that? What are some practical things we learn from Jesus himself as to how we might experience in our lives this refreshment of our soul that he promises here in this passage? Well, there are many things we could talk about, and we don't have time to do that, okay? I'm not going to keep you here all morning. But I wanted to highlight just three things very briefly of ways, things we learn from the life of Jesus that will help us come to him to actually fulfill that, um, that uh, invitation from him. First of all, one of the things we learn from Jesus' own life that help us actually come to him is the importance of prayer. The Gospels remind us that Jesus constantly bathed his life and his Jesus constantly bathed his life and his ministry in prayer. Now, we all know the importance of prayer, right? Again, something you'd expect me to say. And yet studies indicate how frequently followers of Jesus struggle to maintain any kind of consistent prayer life. Even pastors and religious leaders, people tend to think pastors have a special hotline to heaven. I deal with a lot of pastors. They struggle with that as well. I struggle with it. And maybe some of you do too. One of my favorite spiritual writers is Ruth Haley Barton. In her excellent book, Sacred Rhythms, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation, which is a book I really encourage you all to read if you haven't. She says this about prayer. She says, simply put, prayer is all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. The, fun the fundamental purpose of prayer, she says, is to deepen our intimacy with God. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, where he says, do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Notice Paul doesn't say in some things. He says in everything, bring your requests to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul reminds us to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing. And I think the question maybe each one of us needs to ask ourselves this morning is this. What does my prayer life look like? How often am I coming to Jesus through prayer or not. Prayer is one of the key ways in the midst of heavy burdens and a restless world that we come to him in refreshment for our souls. A second thing we learn from Jesus that will help us to come to him to find rest and refreshment for our souls is through learning to be alone in solitude and silence with him. We all know we live in a world that is constantly bombarded with noise and demands, and deadlines, and texts, and tweets, and Twitters, and phone calls, and on, and on, and on, and on stuff, and it's getting worse all the time. Distracted. And in the midst of all this activity and noisiness, it is often difficult, as the message says, for us to keep company with Jesus. We're so constantly interrupted. One of my doctoral students at Denver Seminary is a youth pastor, and he recently finished his thesis and how God uses the solitude of nature as a means of spiritual formation in the lives of young adolescents. Really fascinating thesis, how God uses nature. 
fascinating thesis, how God uses nature. And in his study, he described how difficult it was for his teenage participants to be in nature alone in solitude with God. They're just so used to always being connected and interrupted and distracted by their phones and other devices that this was very hard for them to be alone. Some people had literal withdrawal for the two or three days he had them out in nature. He said you couldn't use these things. They're literally having withdrawal problems. And he described several national surveys in his thesis, the last one was 2016, that showed that 12th graders spend many hours every day with screens and digital technology. I heard on the news the other night they were saying something like six. I think it's higher than that, actually. Six hours a day texting and on the internet and gaming and Facebook and chat book and video chat and this, that, and that, and everything. But what really caught my attention is this one line in his thesis. He summed up his surveys by, by saying this. He said, almost every unclaimed minute for today's adolescent is spent in front of screens. Now, here's the thing. He said, in some ways, it's even worse with adults. So we're not off the hook either in terms of the screen time and all the things that, that are involved with that. Now, I realize that given our different personalities, silence and solitude seems to come easier for some of us than it does for others. But the point I want to make here is simply this. One of the things we learn from Jesus' own life, which helps us to be able to come to him regularly, is by unplugging from all of the many distractions around us so that we might be in a position to hear his voice. And we don't always have to be in solitude to do that, but more often than not, that's a good place for that to happen. The Gospels tell us that Jesus regularly sought solitude in the midst of a full every day. And yet, Scripture says, one example in Mark 6.30, says that Jesus said to his disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves, and rest a while. Even in the midst of his very busy life, he's only there three years, he's the savior of the world, and Jesus still took time in solitude and silence to commune with the Father. Getting away in solitude is the second way we learn from Jesus how we can come to him in the midst of a very noisy world. Third and finally, we learn from Jesus' own life that helps us come to him and find rest and refreshment for our souls by observing a weekly Sabbath. Working six days and then taking a day of rest to focus on God. Certainly this was the rhythm of Jesus and his disciples. Work and rest. Work and rest. One of the things that my wife and I love about traveling in France. Any of you traveled to France? Spend any time? In, we spend actually quite a bit of time in France. One of the things I love about traveling in France is how everything closes down on Sunday and even Mondays, if you're out in rural areas particularly. Everything closes down, grocery stores, restaurants, gas stations. And so you're not tempted to make Sunday just another work day. Now I admit that it can be annoying at times uh, when you forget to buy food the day before or gas and you realize, oh, everything's closed. I can't go anywhere today, but maybe that's a good thing because I just have to stay home. But it's a rhythm of work and rest that happens each week there. Now, unfortunately, many of the churches in France are by and large empty. And I'm sure that it is true that not all of the French are necessarily using those days for worship. I'm guessing many do not. But having everything shut down does make it a bit easier and easier and 
easier not to be distracted and to set aside at least one day for God. Debbie and I were talking about this last night. We remembered that when we lived here in Massachusetts 40 years ago, they had the blue laws and the malls were closed on Sunday. Are the malls closed on Sunday today? All I'm going to say. Um, but as time has gone on, Sunday has become just another day of the week for, for everyone, even Christians. And I know some Christians have to work on Sundays because of the kind of jobs, and I understand that. But the point is this. Unlike God who created the world in six days and then rested, we tend to never stop. Again, I quote Ruth Haley Barton. She says, Sabbath keeping is more than just taking a day of rest. It is a way of ordering one's life around a pattern of working six days and then resting on the seventh. She, on the seventh. She, she goes on to say, the day itself is set apart, devoted completely to rest, worship, and delighting in God. Delighting in God. Isn't that a great phrase? Part of the reason we, 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 we have a Sabbath is so that we might delight in God. Jesus wants us to actually delight in him, to be refreshed in him, to be renewed in him. And one way we are able to do that is through observing a weekly Sabbath. Now, to be honest with you, I have to say that I've not always observed the Sabbath very well. I haven't. And maybe some of you struggle with that as well. But I've always thought to myself, what a great idea God had to have a Sabbath. If God works and then rests, why don't we? St. Augustine, Augustine in his confession says this. He says, Great are you, O Lord, and exceedingly worthy of praise. You have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. I've not seen that word before. Our heart is unquiet until it rests in you. When we've heard that, when we've heard that uh, phrase before, we've usually heard it more like this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. What heavy burdens are you carrying this morning? Is your heart unquiet, restless? Are you experiencing any of this, that restlessness that so seems to plague our world today? Jesus says simply, come to me for your souls. And may God help us to find a way to do that with his help and his guidance. Let's bow for prayer. Jesus, we need you. We need you every hour. We do, we are prone, prone to wander, and we do live in a world that seems to be accelerating in its pace and franticness every day, it seems to be hurried. And in the midst of that, you call us to yourself. And so we pray that you'd help us, however we might be able to, to come to you, to find company in you, to rest in you in the midst of this busy world so that we might truly be refreshed and renewed so that we might serve you with our whole heart, mind, and soul and strength. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.